Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayo. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. In this episode, I'm joined by my sister Kay, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about the first season of Jessica Jones, the Netflix series. Now, we've just finished watching the 13 episodes of this, and this was based on a uh, comic book called Alias back, I think, early 2000, 2002-ish, give or take. You know, Netflix released an article a while back saying that they had been uh, paying attention to how viewers watch shows Mm -hmm. within Netflix and had been coming up with, based on the show, if viewers make it to this episode, they're guaranteed to watch the complete run of that show. Right, kind of what episode hooked them. They make it to three seventy percent finish the series. Yeah, that or whatever that episode was. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting, but also kind of self-defining. You're saying, well, if 70% who watched this episode finish it off and it's the last one that has that, that's what quote-unquote hooked them. Yeah. Okay. When What made me think of that is I think if someone came to Jessica Jones knowing nothing about it other than everybody said this is a great show, you gotta watch it. If you only watched the first episode because that's all you had time for and you said, I'm just gonna watch an episode now, come back to it later, you might not come back to it. This was a show designed for binge-watching, in my opinion. Very much so. I think Daredevil was similar in that respect. This one, I thought it was a bit more pronounced. This felt like a 12 or 13, or 13 episode, but about a 12-hour movie. Yeah. With, you know, good breaks every 45, 50, 55 minutes or so, you know, as, as they s- divided it into to episodes. But it's very much set up for binge-watching. We don't even get her origin until, what, 11, 12 episodes in? 11 episodes in, I think. Yeah. And even then, it's kind of sketchy. She gets in a car wreck, which we'd known about earlier. She comes out of it with powers somehow. There's hints as to how she... I mean, there's hints, but there's not a clear origin. Well, I was asking you early on when we were seeing the Trish talk on the bus and Mm -hmm. signs and stuff. I'm like, okay, clearly this character must be important, right? And then once we start meeting her, I'm like, is this a best friend? Is this a sister? We're not giving a definition to Trish. It, Tish, you know, it just. It takes a good couple of episodes, five or six in, to really understand that relationship. And yet, by the end of episode 13, I thought that was probably one of the most beautiful relationships of the whole series. I would agree entirely. And part of it was. The writing, part of it was the casting. I think the two actresses played well off each other. Agreed. Jessica Jones was a very strong, sarcastic, kind of surly character. Mm-hmm. And Trish Walker, better known as, as Patricia Walker or Patsy Walker from the comics, um, is a former child star, now radio host. She almost has like a Danny Bonaducci kind of career. Yeah. yeah. Except she was a really high paid child actor, whereas I don't think Danny Bonaducci was. But the whole radio thing later is kind of what makes the connection there for me. And the red hair. Hmm. But having that best friend-sister relationship there, that love-hate kind of a thing, they play on that throughout the entire series very well done. They hint at 
uh, Trish Walker, uh, getting training to, to how to fight and stuff like that. Uh, at one point, she takes a uh, combat enhancement drug mm-hmm. uh, and is really kind of pumped up. I mean, they set her up to where if they wanted to do a Hellcat series based on her, they could totally do that and then put Jessica Jones in the supporting role. Yeah. Well, and they did a really good job of showing almost an opposites attract aspect between those two in terms of Trish has that that stubborn iron will. Mm -hmm. That inner confidence, that compassionate heart, but she'll do the research and figure things out, whereas Jessica has the physical strength. Jessica's a little bit more of a bull in a china shop. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at one point, Trish is saying, you know, you don't have to protect me anymore. You don't have to defend me anymore. I can save myself now. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that almost since they've, they were teenagers, they've been saving each other. Yeah. Again, the relationship there, very interesting and, and doled out slowly over the course of, of the first half of the season. Mm -hmm. Um, but so well defined that it, feels very natural even from the get-go well i loved at the end of the season when they're looking for something that is purely out of character for jessica to say something that will tell Mm -hmm. trish in no uncertain terms i am speaking for myself there's no mind control involved here and yet it's something that would be believable in whatever situation she gets into. And just, you know, she's getting out of the car and she says, you mean like, I love you. And she shuts the door. Mm-hmm. Because the Jessica Jones character is very walled off emotionally. Mm-hmm. And just because she's been hurt so much before. Yeah. You know, her entire family got killed in a car wreck. She was the sole survivor. So she had a, a definite aspect of kind of survivor syndrome there. Mm-hmm. And in the comics, the or origin story for jessica jones is really kind of a a non-starter kind of a thing it's pretty much what we get in 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 the the series here the defining backstory for her much like it is in this series was she was held captive by the purple man Kilgrave, for for months on end now in the comics it was like eight or nine months or something and she wasn't missed Mm. which really kind of crushed her confidence or whatever yeah yeah but that that sense of violation and whatnot is Really, what that character has has very much been about early on in the comics, uh, t- very much you know, totally what's going on here. And I thought it was summed up very well in one of the uh, the Kilgrave support group meetings when Malcolm, a character original for the series, was basically you know, was I always this way? Did he make me this way? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a sense of questioning identity, responsibility accountability. Do you accentuate something that was within me that I didn't know was there? Would it have come out anyways? Yeah. Yeah. Malcolm was a fantastic character. And he was one of several characters that was introduced in what I almost want to call a throwaway manner. Mm -hmm. There were several characters that the first time you saw them, you thought, okay, that could be just an extra who got handed two or three lines of dialogue and we're never going to see them again. I knew he was not going to be that kind of a character for a couple of reasons. One, uh, the actor they chose, Eka Darville. Uh, he was the Red Ranger for a season of Power Rangers, uh, Power Rangers RPM. He was in Terra Nova. He's a very talented actor. He is definitely very and talented. He knocked it out of the park here from the, the, the drug addict we see at the beginning to what we see at the end how that progression happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, uh, 
just from some of the uh, the press stuff that had been happening. He was one of the ones that was in on those interviews, mm-hmm. you know. And if you think about it, there's only a five or six really central characters for this series. Jessica Jones, uh, Trish Walker, uh, Luke Cage, who is going to get his own series. Uh, Kilgrave, the Purple Man, the villain, much like, you know, uh, uh, Wilson Fisk in the Daredevil one. Uh, Malcolm, and then uh, the police officer, Will Simpson. Mm-hmm. You know, and even he's kind of a tertiary one to a degree. I was going to say, in a way, he got introduced in kind of a throwaway manner. For all we knew when we first met him, he could have been just another one of the people being mind-controlled by Kilgrave. Absolutely. And for a while, I thought he was, but then I realized he was essentially Nuke from the comics, which was uh, a character where they were uh, a program was trying to recreate the Captain America super soldier stuff. And this guy was used as, you know, let's go throw him in a war zone. He pops red pills to, to get the aggro kind of thing going. Uh, I think it was white to level out, blue to come down or something like that. Well, and uh, Detective Clemens was introduced in pretty much a throwaway manner, investigating the uh, death of Hope's parents. And yet he came back in a major way and was very well used. Yeah, very well used uh, up until the the way they got him off off. Uh, off, off camera, off screen, off yeah, off the off the plot. I um, was sorry to see that happen. It needed to happen the way it did, though. It yeah. set up some of the other parts of the story. Yeah, and it had payoff. It wasn't just okay. Now he's gone. Yeah, and there are one or two things in the last couple episodes. It's like uh, the uh, the lawyer uh, Hogarth Car- uh, Hogarth that Carrie Moss plays. Um, it's like she vanishes for a couple episodes, and I'm like, really. They, they finish her story. She's gone. That's it. No, she comes back at the end, plays out well. Mm-hmm. And that was another one, aside from the actress they chose, could have just been, hey, you know, Jessica Jones needs a job uh, as a PI. This is where she's getting one. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. You know. There were aspects of Hogarth's plot line that for a long time just weren't adding to the, the show and the story for me at all. It really just gave... Kilgrave and in with her, a reason or a way to manipulate her. With Daredevil, you had a very strong villain with with Wilson Fisk trying to, to kind of take over the world almost, mm-hmm. uh, or at least that corner of of uh, New York. With Kilgrave, you've got a much more personal storyline. He very much could take over the place if he wanted to, but that's not what he's out for. He's a very spoiled little boy. Who wants the one person who can say no to him, and yet, if for a while, he's enchanted by the fact she can say no, wants her to choose him, and then decides, no, I'm over that. He's a spoiled kid that's not very ambitious, Mm -hmm. which is good, Mm. because if you had taken the ambition of Wilson Fisk Mm -hmm. and the abilities of of this guy, who's the purple man from the comics, he, he has mind control. In the comics, it's through a pheromone thing. Here, it's through a virus. Mm -hmm. And that would have been a very bad combination. Mm -hmm. Well, it was interesting in uh, one of the episodes, the episode, I guess, that they were in her childhood home. And he was saying basically a, I have no inclination to do good unless you are here with me as my moral compass Mm -hmm. is what it came down to. And I was saying, you know, that right there could be a a fascinating 
set of characters and plotline, you have an incredibly powerful character who basically teeters on the balance. He could be good or evil, depending on if the central focus of his life, the one person he cares about, is present or not. Yeah, it comes down to some. he, he will do good things for somebody else. Yeah. But not because he's an inherently good guy, and Kilgrave inherently not a good guy. Yeah. Uh, and he was played by David Tennant, uh, one of the doctors. He was the ninth doctor, I think. I love watching you learn to count. Well, there's so many doctors, and I came in quite a ways through. Well, if you count backwards. He was the tenth doctor. Ooh, backwards. They had the seven, eight was the, uh, the, the Fox movie. Then you had Eccleson, who was in one of the Thor movies, uh, as number nine. Then you had ten, which is Tenet here. Then you had uh, Eleven, which was Matt Smith, who was in uh, also in Terminator. And then you've got the current one of... Um, Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. I knew something. So there's so many, so many to go around. Very true. David Tennant did an amazing job here. Very talented actor. I think all the actors they got, by and large, were very good. Agreed. One of my favorite sections was when uh, Kilgrave was trying to buy the childhood home. Mm-hmm. And I loved it because I thought commented to you while we were watching it, something's going on here. He's trying to legally, above board, purchase the house without using his powers. That and some stuff we see afterwards where he's basically explaining to Jessica of what a curse his power is. How he's got to carefully choose his words. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yes, I, I see the, the, the quote-unquote downside of that, but it's no curse. You, yeah. You're not treating it as such. You don't feel guilty about any of this. Yeah, exactly. But I can see how a flippant remark can suddenly send somebody running into traffic or something. Yeah. You yeah. know, but the fact that, that he intentionally tells people to go do that at times. Yes. Well, and I loved the way Jessica would tell people to repeat back everything he said exactly the way he said, it, because she had learned to basically play with the words. Yes. It, it, you can you can kind of rules lawyer your way out of situations. Mm -hmm. Put a bullet in your head doesn't actually mean shoot yourself if you put a bullet into your mouth, hold it there for a minute and spit it out. I yeah. loved it. Well, they played fair with all of that because- Near the end, when they go back to the when they go to the nightclub where he was testing his enhanced powers out, there was still the guy outside. Yes, yes. And it had been, I think, at that point, a full day. Almost, so that, yeah. So that should have been enough to clue us in. And in hindsight, it's oh, I get it. Um, so there was some well written aspects of that, and I felt they had better writing on this show than Daredevil. Mm. In so much as I never felt that his powers, Luke's powers, Jessica's powers, ever kind of like mysteriously vanished. Yeah. Now, that having been said, Jessica's powers are ill-defined at best. Yes, definitely. Super strength, but no real invulnerability. She can crack ribs. She bleeds a lot. Yeah. I mean, she gets banged up a lot. She does. But apparently, uh, Saran Wrap really helps heal. The, the I didn't understand that with the broken ribs. She was trying to uh, tape her ribs, kind of like a doctor would do with more of an ace wrap type situation. I just couldn't figure out why saran wrap was an appropriate substitute. I have no idea. And I don't know why they thought it would stay in place. That's just me. Yeah. I, I thought Luke Cage, when he, he took the shotgun shell to the chin... 
You know, I was real glad his mouth was closed because they'd been very clear about it's only the skin. Mm -hmm. You know, I loved him telling her, do what you have to do. And his having told her episodes before or what seemed like episodes before, if I get Kilgrave to take me out. I liked how that was both led up to well, but also had ramifications. Mm. This isn't just, a, okay, shoot him with a shotgun blast. He'll survive. It doesn't matter. Nothing nothing to see here. Mm -hmm. That was most of a, an episode mm -hmm. uh, playing that out. And way to bring in the Night Nurse. Bringing in the Night Nurse from Daredevil I thought was a lot of fun. Uh, the use of Malcolm there at the end. Yes. Yes. Uh, with, hey, I'll keep an eye on him. Why are we here? Are we their sidekicks? And again, mm -hmm. identity, role in society, you know, point in the story and stuff. He was used, uh, Malcolm was used to bring up a lot of very interesting points and deal with them well. Yeah. And if we see Malcolm and or the Night Nurse again, I would like to see the two of them together. Yes. Because I thought there was something going on there. Yeah. Starting to go on there. Yeah. Well, they were very like-minded characters in terms of him wanting to go into social work, her being a nurse. They were the same personality types, the, the caring for others, etc. Well, and they were the only normal people in the show for the most part. Robin and Reuben really annoyed me from the get-go. The upstairs neighbors. Mm -hmm. uh, she was totally nuts, him a little less so, but yeah. It's like, okay, this is just strange for the sake of being strange. Mm -hmm. But there was at least an aspect to the storyline that made them relevant other than just, oh, we got to have wacky neighbors. Yeah. Really, I mean, I'm trying to think of anyone else that was a, a recurring, that was a, just kind of a regular person. A few of the people in the support group that we didn't really get to know, but they we were, saw. They were pawns. They were victims. They were not characters for the yeah. most part. Yeah. Pam. I think it was Pam, not Wendy. Yes, Pam, Hogarth's secretary. Mm -hmm. I uh, I was really annoyed by her quite a bit during the whole having an affair with Hogarth. I felt she was just there to annoy us and to be used. But from the moment she walked in on Hogarth and Wendy during the Thousand Cuts, she became a really great character. I think all the rest of it needed to happen for us to care about that scene. Mm -hmm. And that was a very and what came after, and what came after, and that was a very turning point scene, mm -hmm. both for Hogarth and and Hogarth was is a female version of a male character from the Iron Fist comics. Um, he was who kind of took over uh, the Rand Corporation, or maybe just managed the estate or whatever for uh, Danny Rand, who is Iron Fist. His parents when they vanished. Um, well, and I like his childhood. It. At the end, when Jessica Jones was telling Hogarth not to let the partners force her out of the law firm and that they needed a shark of a lawyer still in business. Yeah. And she needed to defend the other Kel Kilgrave victims. Well, and I thought that was a very interesting choice because at that point we had been introduced to Night Nurse in this series. Reference to Daredevil had been obliquely made. Mm -hmm. And we could have had that last scene uh, in that police station it wasn't the last scene but you know what i mean mm -hmm. that, that scene there at the end with instead of of hogarth it could have been matt murdoch it could have, but hogarth brings kind of the power of the i'm a 500 hundred dollar an hour lawyer yeah no and type. i think it was good that they went that way yeah but it's it's something they could have gone another way and chose not to mm -hmm. and that would have very firmly tied this into the daredevil stuff yeah because aside from the night nurse uh showing up there's nothing to really anchor this to the same city, time, place as Daredevil. 
No. Both had made references to the Avengers and stuff like that. The incident, um, the doctor threatening to fire one of the nurses, and then when her, I guess, drill burns out saying, oh, he's one of them or those, I forget how she phrased it, kind of the, okay, we've had to acknowledge these there's an awareness of superpowers and stuff like that. Yeah. It's still rare, but you believe it when you see it. Because, again, aliens have attacked the city. Yeah. But there's nothing to clearly root this in. I mean, there was no uh, mention of, of S.H.I.E.L.D., really. Um, mm-hmm. There was no visible presence of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm okay with. I, I don't say they necessarily have to have that, but- Jessica Jones, at one point in the comics, was dating the Scott Lang Ant-Man. Mm. I think that was a very brief kind of a deal. She's mainly known for having dated uh, Luke Cage. I thought that relationship was interesting. I yeah. thought the the bit with Reva was a bit confusing for the why they got together, how they met. That was an interesting addition, because it's not from the comics. It gives Luke a very different backstory. In the comics, he's an ex-con that agreed to be experimented on to shorten his sentence. Mm. That's what led to him becoming essentially bulletproof and unbreakable skin and whatnot, super strength. Obviously, I didn't expect to get his his backstory mm. here. He's got his own series for that. Yeah, yeah. But I am curious if Jessica Jones will show up in that series. I hope she does. But it's funny because the way these two were paired up, it was almost like two people that... If all you knew about them was their powers and looking at them from the outside, they look invincible. And yet you got this glimpse into their private lives to discover just how breakable they are. And his having lost his wife and been torn up by it is what gave him that, I do have a heart, I do have that fragility inside. Yeah. Well, and you're right, at a high level... Enhanced strength, durability, and stuff. Okay, they've got the same powers, but they don't. Exactly, yes. You know, he can't be cut. She b- gets cut and bleeds a lot. Again, mm-hmm. there was hardly an episode that went by Yeah. where you know she hadn't gotten banged up pretty bad, bruised or whatnot. I mean, there was uh, quite a bit of, of that sort of a thing with Trish, mm-hmm. both present day and past. As yeah. a kid, we'd seen some of that abuse. Um. And man, the death toll in this series, Mm. there was at least on average one major noticeable death, uh, in some cases fairly gory, Yeah, uh, per episode. Yeah. And I felt with Daredevil, that was very much heavy at the beginning and trailed off a bit. Here, um... That was, I think, a change in showrunners, whereas here, it was an evolution of Kilgrave. Kilgrave was a temper tantrum throwing child and it kind of escalated here. yeah but i i mean as much as i hated seeing it on screen it was in keeping with the character so i was anticipating as i realized wait that's in keeping with the character i'm gonna have to cover my eyes more and more yeah there were a couple of things particularly near the end it's like yeah i don't want to see that i don't and, need that image in my brain yeah they were getting better at giving you visual cues of okay I think as that guy approaches a gardening cart, I want to cover my eyes. Yes. They gave, I don't want to say fair warning, but at least, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it wasn't just bam, it's right there, which yeah. I appreciate. I thought that was uh, a good thing for them to do. And I'm very much against that kind of gory graphic violence. Mm-hmm. But in this story, it really was kind of needed 
because you've got the heroes of the story all saying, yep, we're going to go kill this guy. And yeah. he, they shouldn't need to, but with his mind control powers, there's really no other viable option. Well, and it's interesting because for about the first half of the series, maybe a little over, um, Jessica isn't saying, I'm going to go kill him. And everybody's looking at her like, are you daft? He has to die. You know, but her whole focus is on hope. Mm-hmm. And yes. that she shouldn't be put in jail for a crime she committed because of Kilgrave. And if Kilgrave is dead, there's no proof, there's no evidence, there's no defense for hope. In Daredevil, there was always that search for justice. Mm-hmm. And that equated to, to legal justice. Mm-hmm. Here, there was always that search for justice with the understanding there are some things in that world the legal system just couldn't handle. Yeah. I mean, when you've got one scene where the entire police station is basically pointing guns at each other at Kilgrave's command. Yeah. Ready to go shoot each other if, if she gets out of line. Mm-hmm. What do you do about that? Yeah. You know, unless you've got super speed, you're pretty much, you know, at a, a major disadvantage. He's just got to say a few words. I mean, literally in the span of a few seconds, he could kill millions. Mm -hmm. Or however many he control at the time. Yeah, yeah. And that that makes him a very hard threat to deal with. Well, and the fact that he can uh, force the truth out of you and plant these commands these contingencies they were called at times he can tell you what to do it just doesn't have to be immediate yeah if this then that kind of commands yeah he can he can program people find an opportunity to tell jessica i forgive you and i will forgive you every day for as long as you need to hear it mm -hmm. yeah there were a couple of things where it's like i was suckered in hadn't realized he was in control of somebody and then oh crap yeah but it was it was well done it, it played fair mm -hmm. and i didn't feel like they had cheated yeah and that was what i hated about it you know what i mean it, it was a i loved to hate that the writing suckered me into yes oh wow they did that it made him a very credible threat yes yes kilgrave was not an idiot you know kilgrave knew Jessica was playing him at the end mm -hmm. until she bl out bluffed him and was willing to let him take Patsy, the only person she loved, on that boat. And he walked up close enough she could get her hands on him. And when he said, say, I love you, and she shifted her weight so her eyes were on Trish instead of him. Yes. She could follow the command and still do it the way she needed to. And at this point, it was unclear to us, the viewer, is she under control or not? Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, that was very well played, uh, both in terms of the writing, the acting, the blocking, the direction. Yeah. That's a scene that could have, in lesser hands, gone not so well. Yeah. And the entire season had really built up to that. Yes. Yes. Because we got the hints of her having some severe problems early on when she's recounting the street names and stuff like that. And we've got, you know, the whispering of his voice, the light goes purple and stuff. Mm -hmm. And they did some really interesting visual stuff for those flashbacks, those mm -hmm. those moments of, of paranoia. Yes. Uh, paranoia is not the fear. Yes. 
he was out to get her. Yeah. Now, in the comics... It's not paranoia if there really is a conspiracy. Yes. That was a great line. Um, In the comics, his voice power, sometimes they do what he's saying is the command in purple or a few things like that, to where it's not just everything he says. Mm. But... You know, and I was surprised they didn't do any kind of vocal, uh, you know, electronic manipulation mm-hmm. to have it be some kind of weird reverb to where you could hear the command. Oh, this is a command now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I felt it worked better without that. Yeah. He did it more with his charisma and with his uh, his acting, really. Well, and again, David Tennant was a, a very interesting choice for that. He worked out terrific. Mm-hmm. I don't know who else I would have, I don't know who I would have cast for that role. Well, and going back to that scene where he was buying the house, he would start to say something and then he would literally physically catch himself, turn around, think for a moment, clutch his fist and then turn back around and try again. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to command you. I want you to do this willingly. Yeah. How can I phrase things? Yeah. In a non-command manner, which is very counter to his mindset. Yeah. I think there are a few other actors that could have could have done a very good job with that. But you need somebody who is charismatic, mm. a bit of an overgrown boy. Yes. Um, somebody that you would expect to have a lot more maturity and stuff, but can play the essentially the temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Stamos would have been an interesting pick. Yes. I think he would have been a little old for, for what they needed here. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, Again, David Tennant, terrific actor. Uh, I'll be honest, when uh, um, the one for Jessica Jones, Kristen Ridden, mm-hmm. was picked, I was surprised by that. Most of my uh, viewing of her stuff has been Veronica Mars. Well, She was good. Yeah, I enjoyed her in Veronica Mars, but during the first episode, it felt too much like Veronica Mars, but it wasn't like Veronica Mars, and it wasn't Veronica Mars, and well, I was getting Well, you get the voice narration of the P.I., and it's like, you get the sense this actress really wanted to be Veronica Mars and was just cheesed off she didn't be, and this is how it plays out with a cheesed off, not Nancy Drew. Yeah, and I was like... Is I mean, everybody says the show is great. Where are we going here? I do think the show took a little bit to kind of zero in on, on what it was. But to me, that's it being kind of a 12-hour movie. Mm-hmm. It takes a little bit to get up and going. Again, the, the origin was near the end. Other stuff was kind of throughout. So I I didn't expect a slow burn. But even at the beginning, I was enjoying it. I just wasn't sure where they were going. Yeah. And having her for the lead actress, she did a wonderful job. She did. And really did that kind of, again, surly, grumpy, the world sucks kind of, you know, but still trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. She did that really well. Yeah. And again, I'd be hard-pressed to name somebody else that I think would have been a, a, a better fit for that role. Mm-hmm. Now, part of that is in the comics, she's had a 28-issue series. I think, uh, how long did the pulse run? I'm thinking five issues, a shorter one there, and then supporting cast member in a couple other books. It's not like she's got the uh, the comic book history of an Iron Man, a Hulk, a Captain America, whatever. Yeah. Ironically, Patsy Walker uh, is one of the oldest Marvel characters. Hmm. Because she was done back in the 40s or whatever. Mm. Now, she also... Didn't see print for many years at various points. 
Um, but she was in the Defenders. She's been a, an Avenger. I mean, she's shown up a lot. I, mean, I thought the Jessica Jones character and the actress in those scenes did a great job with the, okay, this is the lie you have to tell because nobody's going to believe you were mind controlled. She did an excellent job in the scenes where both the wordsmithing of, okay, you filled the command, you're good, you're clear, mm-hmm. kind of bringing people down off of this. Yeah, yeah. And I also really liked the scene where she had stormed out of the uh, support group meeting, having gotten a piece of information she needed. Malcolm follows her and she's like, no, go back. Your superpower is helping those people. Yes. Yeah. And I thought that, again, the relationship between those two, Mm -hmm. she was helping him at the beginning. He was helping her later. There was a very, Mm -hmm. I don't say mirror image kind of a deal, but a lot going on there that I thought was, was well done. And again, having an actress that can do the the world sucks and she's just putting up with it, but also seeming to really care, you know, again, the cop who was going to jump off the building. Yes. Hey, you jumped off, you're good, you're, you know. Mm-hmm. She went out of her way to, to kind of resolve the commands. Yeah. Uh, survivably. Yeah. For the people. And again, that shows a certain aspect of, of her character. Yeah. A strength of character. Yeah, exactly. And a high quality of both character and heart. Well, and the episode where she's essentially putting her affairs in order. Mm-hmm. And she goes to Trisha's mom and says, stay the hell away from her. Mm-hmm. You know, and just the way she chooses to put her affairs in order was dark, depressing, cynical, but effective and entertaining. And very telling about the character. Yeah. What's important to her and why. Mm-hmm. And this is a very dark show in that respect just in terms of the mindset of the lead character the we've got to go kill this guy and you're right it takes her a while to get into it but everyone else was no you're not he's he's got to die and but the fact that she knows that he's going to keep hurting her mm -hmm. but she's not going to let him die until hope is saved despite the darkness she's trying to to be the hero yeah even though she's, she knows she's not a hero in her mind. Yeah. And I liked how the voiceover at the end was, you know, maybe I can fool, you know, other people are thinking, maybe I can act that way enough to fool myself. Yeah. Kind it, of still not buying into it. Yeah, you know, one of the things that struck me probably about halfway through the show is we watched the DC shows. Mm-hmm. And I love the DC shows, don't get me wrong. But it feels like on each of the DC shows, the characters have to have this team that they're surrounded by. And they've all become team shows. Well, I wasn't paying attention, I guess. Yeah. For all that she's surrounded by people, they managed to keep her a loner. And she's herself even, it never felt like she's reliant on this team. She has all these people, yet they kept her a loner. It was a well, really interesting writing style. Yes and no. You don't have Team Arrow, Team Flash sort of a deal. And while she's got a lot of these people around her, Trish, Luke, Malcolm, it's until, what, episode 11 or 12 that Trish and Luke meet. Yeah. So it's, it's, she's kept each, she siloed her friends fairly effectively. Mm hmm. But that's, again, her walled off nature. Yeah. That's the way she is. And that, permeates the dna of the show 
But it's also part of why it's a very personal kind of a show. Mm-hmm. Because, again, she goes off to, to encounter Kilgrave once with Luke. That doesn't work out. She goes another time with, with Trish, you know? It's, well, yeah. She never gathers the entire team all at once. I mean, the closest you have is the detective, Hogarth, Trish, Jessica, and Kilgrave's parents. All when they've captured Kilgrave for a bit, yeah. Yeah. And even then, it doesn't feel like she's got this team. No, because certain people are working at cross-purposes. Yeah. And, again, Hogarth doesn't really know Patsy or, you know, Trish and- yeah. There's not that going on. She brings in Clemens, the cop. He's an outsider to them. It's. I love that the cop pulls a gun on Jessica, but Jessica's got Trish waiting in the wings to pull a gun on the cop. Yeah. She usually has, uh, Jessica has a good sense of what's going to happen. She's got a tactician aspect to her, which you, she kind of has to have, mm-hmm. having gone up against Kilgrave. So I, I enjoyed that aspect of the series quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, By the end, I I loved it when you were looking at her in her apartment at one point. You're like, well, she's not getting her security deposit back. Yes. They have a fight scene or two in her place and it just gets trashed. I loved it at the very end. You can see the bullet holes in the window behind her desk. Well, I'm trying to remember what the night nurse had said when she's in there uh, looking after Luke. It's kind of like I thought my friends were slobs or something, you know, kind of a deal. <laughs> Yeah. Because, yeah, bullet holes all over the place, crashed through the wall a few places. Mm-hmm. She hasn't even put a cardboard up again for where the uh, window was broken out of the door. What I found hilarious about the cardboard in the door, because in the pilot, that's when she smashes through the alias investigations. She puts up a, a you know, a, a box such that where you would expect the name on the door to be is fragile handle with care. Yes, yes. Which, if you think about it, does kind of reflect her. Yes. I loved it, too. It was it was a lot of fun. Particularly, it's like, oh, let's get, you know, two or three people try to fix the door. Yes. I think it's not until the third one that somebody leaves the building having fixed the door. I loved it when uh, Trish got locked in her workout room. Mm-hmm. And she gets the uh, dumbbell. To break open the door. Again, Trish, uh, very well used, well set up, and I could easily see them doing a Hellcat uh, series based on her Mm -hmm. in this same, just extend the story. Yeah. Well, they clearly set up a, we could go with IHG for a second season. They clearly set up, okay, Luke's got the yellow USB drive. He's got his season potential right there if they want to go with that instead of just mm-hmm. his origin. I expect to get his origin in backstory as it's relevant, but whatever's on that USB drive, I expect to be part of what propels his story. Yeah, because they said there are a bunch of files that were clearly for you that we didn't open. I'm curious what the driving force of the Defenders series is going to be. Mm. And, and well, really, and where they choose to go with, uh, with Iron Fist and such. You know, there's a lot of different ways they could go there. They could do the Shadowlands storyline where essentially ninjas decide to take over a corner of, of New York. Um, because New York be needs some ninjas. It's a major part of the Daredevil stuff. Uh, Iron Fist was a big part of that storyline. It was also something that united a lot of the, the street-level heroes. So it kind of fits in line with what they're doing. But again, you figure for both uh, the Luke Cage show and the Iron Fist show, 
at some point you've got to get into their backstory, their mm-hmm. explanation, whatever. Mm-hmm. Have I expect to have a big bad that goes, here's the big threat for the season, the 13 episodes. At this point, I'm expecting there to be a fair amount of gore and violence. Yeah. The violence I get, the gore, I'm not so keen on. Yeah. Um, but I that's un- just the way they're doing these shows. I understand the having a big bad for the overarching arc of 13 episodes. I'm just wondering, isn't it possible to do 10 or 13 episodes without having a principal villain who is our sole target for that time frame? Isn't there some other kind of story there that is, can be told? But then you get more episodic, which is, again, more how the DC shows on the mm-hmm. networks tend to be. With this, they're dropping the whole thing all at once on Netflix. Very true. It lends itself to, again, a really long movie kind of a feel mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Kilgrave was an awesome character to go up against. And he had, I want to say, different facets, different aspects you could look at in the different episodes. I just have a hard time envisioning a Wilson Fisk Kilgrave equivalent for Luke Cage. Mm. Whereas I could see a couple of things they could do with Iron Fist. He's from this hidden city of Kowloon. You know, they could do a lot of what had happened in uh, some of the more recent Iron Fist series of he's got to go win the tournament, go fight the other fighters, you know, whatever. Almost Mm -hmm. do a uh, kind of a cage match sort of a thing uh, over the course of that season where you've got a series of of he's got to defeat this he's got to defeat that you know and then builds up to mm. the 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 boss level if you will which i think goes a little bit more towards the direction you're looking for than yeah. one big bad that we get to know over the course of the season yeah. but the way these shows are released really facilitates definitely you know because i felt wilson fisk and and kilgrave here we really got to know yes and therefore we feel when they, as the villains of the piece, lose, we feel mm-hmm. that. We, we, you know, we appreciate that. Yes. Yes. And. Now, for me, Kilgrave was a better written villain than Fisk. He was a better villain, but I think Fisk was a better character. Fisk was smarter, more cunning, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. He was trying to rise above what he was. He had a plan and a goal. He had ambitions. Kilgrave was a child having a temper tantrum. Kilgrave is the kind of character you can't have have ambitions. Yeah. Yeah. If he says, I'm going to take over the city, he takes over the city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, part of what made him such a fun character here, fun villain here, is I don't care how strong you are, you're not going to punch him and take him out faster than than he can talk mm-hmm. and yet he was constantly running away because he couldn't think of what to do next and at one point when uh, luke says something to him it's the i wish i could come up with a comeback to that yes yes well you put again fisk and, and kilgrave together as a team or as a single character and you've got an unstoppable force mm-hmm yeah. Somebody with ambition, tactics, a game plan, and mind control. That's tough to beat. Yeah. So I'm curious where they're going to go with the the threat for the the, the arc for, for Cage. Uh, again, can see a couple of possibilities for Iron Fist. But then again, for the Defenders, you get all of these characters together. What do you do there? Mm-hmm. And how do you balance 
having at least four main characters over a 13-episode arc. And do you bring in Hogarth, the lawyer? Or Foggy. Yes. Or Trish. Mm -hmm. Or the night nurse. Or whatever the supporting cast is going to be for Iron Fist and Luke Cage. I hope you bring in the night nurse. I hope so, too. Um, I would like to see the night nurse, Foggy, Malcolm, and, and Trish as kind of the, the support crew for these guys. I was just thinking what a hilarious support group meeting they would have. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing Malcolm would set up. Yeah, that would be funny. It would be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hope by the point we revisit Jessica Jones, either in Luke Cage or The Defenders, we hear that there's an implied progression of her PI firm has really taken off. She's now very well accepted. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, she's on a better path. Well, they were setting Malcolm up whether they meant to or not, in that final scene as taking the phone call and I don't want to say being the secretary, but- He's, in my mind, now the business manager for that investigation firm. Yeah. He wants to help people. This lets him help people. Well, and going back to that, uh, you know, you've got a person with power, but they need a moral compass to help them guide them he watched her delete a bunch of messages of the my boyfriend's beating up on me someone's coming after me for rent and she was just deleting them almost because she didn't want to sort through them and figure it out and he realized i wouldn't just randomly delete all of them mm -hmm. i could sort through them for her he can take on the burden of picking yeah and weeding out the the ones that are just hey beat up this guy for me versus hey i really do need help yeah and I would, I would like to see that play out, mm -hmm. even if it's just tangentially in one of these other shows. Yeah. Now, if we get another season of, of Jessica Jones, I don't know where they go next. Well, they seem to set up the investigating the IGH mm -hmm. and having a Nuke as their bad guy. True, true. And I don't know how interesting I'll find that as a season, because he pretty well peeved me off. When he was blaming Jessica for his team dying with the bomb that the neighbor delivered. If they go that route, what I would like to see is it tying into the super soldier serum, mm. tying into the, the Hulk with the Bruce Banner stuff, tying into that side of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and get some actual payoff there in some way. Mm -hmm. Not saying you got to have these people guest star or whatever on the show, but have it start to intersect with, well, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s got to have some involvement in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. You know, so that to me starts to, to if you don't start integrating tightly in some way, shape, or form with the cinematic universe other than just referencing, hey, this stuff happened. Yeah. It's a missed opportunity. Yeah, I would agree. And again, we haven't watched any of uh, third season of S.H.I.E.L.D. at this point, so I don't know how much this may connect to that or whatever, but- Marvel's been doing a really solid job on the movies and mm -hmm. integrating those together. I think their individual TV shows so far have been good. Mm -hmm. I think Daredevil and, and Jessica Jones here are better than S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, what we've watched of it, yeah. What we've watched of first two seasons of that, but also are more or less just extended movies. Yes. And that's part of why they're better. Yeah. These have an episodic aspect to them. In terms of they're divided into episodes, and each episode has a solid beginning, middle, and end, and feel mm -hmm. fulfilling, not just a, well, crap, they ran out of time. Yeah. 
but, but it's very much meant for binge watching. Yeah, and they're not 42 minute episodes. They vary. Yeah. I'm trying to think what the shortest we saw was with Daredevil, it ranged from like 42 minutes to like an hour and three or something. Yeah. Seems like a lot of these were in the 50 to 55 minute range, but I wasn't clocking. Yeah, these were all more or less the, the same, you know, within a 10 minute range. Yeah. Not quite the variance we had in Daredevil. But again, it's around 12 hours or so of of, uh, of airtime. I thought it was fun. Again, there are a couple of places it was a bit gorier than I would have liked. A couple of places, particularly at the end, it's like, I can't watch that, you know? Yeah. But well done, well cast, uh, and very satisfying. I can see why people liked it. I agree. Anything else? Does that pretty much do it? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and forum for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.